I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey everyone, welcome along to an episode of High Performance. It's fast becoming actually one of the most popular episodes we release in any month, which is a chance for myself and Damien. Hi Damien. Hi, Jake. To sit and reflect on the brilliant conversations that we've had over the past four weeks, you're about to hear uh, a clip from our chat with Kevin Sinfield, uh, the former Manchester United goalkeeper and CEO of Ajax, Edwin van der Sar, the singer Tom Grennan and the musician Matt Willis. We're just going to pick out uh, a moment or two from those conversations and just delve a bit deeper into them. And we're going to start with Kevin Sinfield. We'll talk about it in a second. But first, here is Kevin talking to us about the power of purpose. I realised pretty early on that I, you probably got the best out of me when I backed into a corner. I hate the fact that, that it's like that, but it's probably true. When you really stick me somewhere I don't want to be, then I'll fight and I'll come out and you'll get the best of me. And So for people out there who are, who are going through some things that they don't want to face, they will find it particularly difficult. Like Life's tough. Um, and nobody has it plain sailing. I would say this as well, because I remind myself of it, of it all the time. There's always someone worse off than you, no matter how bad it gets, there's someone worse than you. So Rob helps with that, with the perspective. Um, I've actually, I actually enjoy being in those tough, difficult, dark moments. Don't have to be in there long, but as was shown in the, the 101 mile, I were in there for seven hours. And it was, it's a long time to be in there. But again, there's people doing a lot worse than I am. And my job is to try and get from A to B in one piece, to try and raise a lot of money so that the specialists and surgeons and the best MND people across the UK can get their heads together and try and find a cure. And I think we've got something like that that is really powerful, then it's really easy to do it. But I'd say to people out there, Find out why you're doing it. What is it? What What is the one thing that'll prevent you stopping or turning around? And w- when you find that, you can go. Now, 
this is a good time to have a conversation about purpose because we're recording this on a Thursday afternoon and last night we were live on stage at the Hackney Empire with the All Blacks legend Dan Carter and actually the conversation with him was really all about purpose and I think we we need to talk about the fact that you can have something that you do in life like host a podcast or play rugby or be a parent or I don't know make a million quid whatever it is you want to do but that's not purpose that's the thing that you want to achieve purpose is a far greater conversation than that isn't it yeah it's not what you do it's who you are when you're doing it who you become and what I found really interesting in the chat with Dan that we had last night was when we had a beer with him afterwards in the dressing room and he was talking about the ridiculousness of retiring from sport and even that very word retiring that he said so if you chose to leave a profession you don't retire from that profession to do something else you just change careers and yet with athletes like Dan and like Kevin that we've just heard from we often think about well, what are you going to do when you've retired well actually they've just changed careers in Kevin's case he's gone to become a coach with Steve Borthwick in England. In Dan's case, he's gone on to become an author, he's an advisor to businesses, and, you know, he's a philanthropist in many ways. So I think you're absolutely right, Jake. It's who we are is what our purpose is driven by, not what we do. And it's fair to say that when you do something as incredible as what Kevin did, which was be one of the greatest ever Leeds Rhino players the world's seen, or when you're one of the greatest All Blacks the world's ever seen, it's very easy to allow that to become your purpose. And there will be people listening to this who do incredible jobs, who have incredible things in their lives. And I suppose our message to them is don't allow that thing that you do to inadvertently become your purpose. Because there's one sure thing guaranteed in life, and it's that, that great thing you do, at one point you won't be doing it. And therefore, your purpose has to be so much bigger than that. So that when you pivot, when you change, when something falls away, when you actually do retire, when you leave a job, when you leave a role, when you no longer have the responsibility you have today, you're not less of a person for not having that in your life. Definitely. I remember talking to a leader of one business that uh, I worked with who had his sense of purpose was to enrich lives, which I thought was really interesting. And in the business that he ran, the product that he sold was about enriching people's lives. But I remember him saying to me, if this business fails, I'll go and run old people's homes, I'll go and build wells in Africa, I will still enrich people's lives through the actions that I do. So it was almost not defined by the nature of the work, it was what he became and, and the difference it made on the back of it. And I think that leads into the conversation we had with Kevin. And if you remember, we were at Twickenham on the day of the Gallagher Rugby Premiership final, where Kevin was there with Steve Borthwick and the England staff, and he was signing copies of his new book. And then he came in and spoke to us at the end of the day, and his day sounded like it was pretty frenetic and full-on. And yet when he came to us, he still had that energy, that exuberance, that passion for the conversation. And I think that's a great example of somebody living a life on purpose. Everything he was doing was about enriching lives, making lives better, raising awareness, inspiring people and making a difference. So his energy levels were so much higher than somebody just doing a job because I felt I have to do it. I love that conversation with Kevin. And actually, it was a busy couple of days because 24 hours before that, we all landed in Amsterdam, by the way. How good were those pancakes, those Dutch pancakes we had for lunch, guys? Oh, fantastic, oh. wasn't they? Yeah. Food of the gods. Yeah, we all put on about six stone yes. after 12 hours in Amsterdam. Um, <laughs> but we were there to speak to Edwin van der Sar. Um, and he is the former 
CEO of Ajax because only two days later was it announced that he'd quit his job. He'd resigned as the CEO. We spoke to him about that job. We spoke to him about his life in football. He was an incredible goalkeeper for Manchester United, but it was mainly around the struggles of the job that he does today that the conversation focused. Before we talk about it, here's a clip. Give us, give us an insight into what you know the hours of the hours you work. Kind of, you never. Uh, you don't, don't want to. It's it's true. It's uh, it's it's continuously, and that's uh, it's it's hard. It's 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 whatever you have your you have, you have your phone, you have your laptop, you have the calls, you have every every you have, you have your dinners, you have your work, you have your time that you go to games. You uh, you want to be uh, you want to go to commercial partners. It's it's events. It's it's shit. Things are happening. You need to fire someone. Things are not going well. There's a, there's a crisis. Uh, there's something happening on European level. It's something with uh, with uh, with a new media deal. It's it's constant. So it's it's uh, at a certain point. It's it's a not a drag. It's fucking hard. And that's that's something that where where friends of yourself say, Jason Edwin, why do you need it? Why <laughs> you have your money? You can have an easier life. And and. Of course, something goes something goes that goes that through your mind. But in one way, you have, yeah, you want you want to you want to be success. Success sometimes sometimes also addictive. Uh, you wanna you wanna achieve things, and that's something that you carry with you all your life. And if you play different sports or with your friends, you always want to win. So I was really frustrated, annoyed, angry, and let down with myself when I saw that two days later he'd left his job. Because just to set the scene, we were in a hotel room overlooking um, the Johan Cruyff Arena. And do you remember when he walked in the room, we were waiting for him as you normally do with these guests. We were set to go, cameras were running, mics were rolling, and I just said, hey, Edwin, how are you? He went, shit. Yep. And then sat down. How at that point did we as interviewers not realise just how much he was struggling? or like? And he kept throwing in little comments about how hard it was. And I think that maybe, let's just be totally open here, I, f- I feel maybe we missed a bit of a trick in that interview that we still went down the road of the things that we decided we were going to do 24 or 12 hours before. And we allowed that to blind us from basically what he was saying, which was, I can't handle this job anymore, it's crazy. Yep. I think you're right. I think our careers as investigative journalists like Bernstein and Woodward haven't <laughs> quite got off the, uh, off the starting line. But I think on a serious point, I think you're absolutely right that we're learning as well. And I think it's great that we can sort of stop and pause and go, you know what, we did miss something there that, that there's that great saying of there's often the words, the music and the dance. And it's the music and the dance that really tell the whole story, not just the words. And I think Edwin, his whole body language, he looked exhausted, he looked frustrated. You know, he was kind and courteous enough to still commit to doing the interview with us. But you're right, I think we did miss a trick that, and I don't know, I think I've reflected on it as well. I think sometimes it was the fact that we knew he was pressured for time. We knew that we were coming in on the weekend before the last game of the season that was going to be seminal of where Ajax finished in the in the final place into the season. So I think the context of that meant that I almost didn't want to piss him off. We were sort of treading carefully on what we thought he would want. And maybe that wasn't what he wanted. He, he would have given us more than we got. Yeah. Well, I still think there's a value to the conversation we had. But I just think talking to him about what was Cristiano Ronaldo like, you can have that conversation at any point in his life. If we'd have just said, Edwin, thank you so much for finding the time. 
but I'm going to be totally honest, you look exhausted, you look tired, you look drained, and the season isn't even over. Please tell us, how are you feeling? Because we have many people that listen to this podcast who will feel the same. They will be really stressed out by work and life and family and everything else, and they are hanging on by a thread. And that could have been really valuable for those people, and we miss that. And I think that, you know, what do we say high performance is? Doing the best you can where you are with what you've got. I still believe we did the best we could where we were with what we had. But I now think we have more. And I think that it sharpens both of our brains to be like the interview that we're planning to do with this person. If we do that interview, then there's a chance we've missed something. Those questions we've pre-prepared are backup questions. Yeah. They are not the central questions. Well, if you think about some of the interviews that we've done over the last three and a half years, Jake, where that we still often refer back to, they're often the interviews where we went completely off our scripted questions for whatever reason, whether the interviewer like Johnny Wilkinson, when he first came in, just said, I can't answer these questions. So it forced us to think on our feet, you know, whether it was someone like Dame Stephanie Shirley that was coming in at 90 years old and got tired and exhausted uh, quite easily during the interview and it forced us to slow down and sort of adapt. Yeah. I think they're the ones that sometimes, it's that old saying that common sense is what you do when you don't know what to do. And I think sometimes if we'd have just decided to throw away what we'd planned and just respond in the moment, I think we could have got something different. Yeah, but it shows the value that that had for us. And I, I still hope that it carried a real value for the people listening. I'd love to hear from people. Yeah, I think so. I think what I would say is that I did notice that he did visibly relax, didn't he? So again, context for listeners is that we'd been told really clearly he had just an hour of his time to give us and yet he stayed for nearly an hour and a half and I think that was emblematic of, I think, some of the conversation we had of going back to his career and some of his experiences of leading from behind, as he said, sort of gave him probably a bit of comfort in what was a troubling time for him when he was, you know, telling us about you asked him, what was it like sharing a dressing room with Cristiano Ronaldo? I said, what was it like for Cristiano Ronaldo sharing a dressing room with me? I thought we saw little snippets of the bloke that he really is when he's at his best, confident, strident, and somebody that knows where his boundaries lie. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's talk about another guest who was with us this month, the singer Tom Grennan. I really liked him, didn't you? Yeah, he was brilliant. And not just because he was a United fan, <laughs> which would be shallow, but I'd like to, I thought he just came in and, you know, you might have an image of what a pop star is supposed to be like. And I, like I did, I thought it'd be quite loud, quite brash, quite blingy. And he wasn't, he was quiet, he was humble and really engaging. And I think this conversation plays exactly to what we try to do with high performance i'm sure you will have an opinion about tom grennan whether it's you like or don't like his music like or don't like his dress sense like or don't like his social media account or the way he acts or blah 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 but none of that's really important because your opinion our opinion becomes valueless compared to the empathy that you develop for someone when you get to know them and when someone sits in front of you and talks about therapy and talks about how that's changed their lives and talks about some of the traumas they've had and how they had to reframe those then you listen, then you learn, and then you grow. Here's just a couple of clips from our conversation with Tom. I was so annoyed at myself for listening to this little other voice who was saying I wasn't good enough that I thought to myself, I'm going to be spontaneous and I'm also going to just throw myself in 
to something that I never thought I'd ever do and see if I could swim. And I ended up being able to swim in it and I thought this is wicked and I've also flipped flipped the thought. I do a lot of therapy now I still and and I have this thing of flipping a thought which really, really helps me in my day-to-day life anyway. Go on, explain what you mean by that. So if I have something that's giving me anxiety, say if I'm like, I can't do this, or I feel like I am sinking inside or something like that, I'd be like, nah, I'm not. I'm actually floating. And then that makes it a positive thing straight away. And it changes the way you your thought. And it also ch- it changes what that little voice inside your head is saying so you're kind of like shouting at that other voice saying nah mate that's not what I want to do I want to do that and then you're actually doing it I got jumped and that wasn't like you say just this little scuffle it was something that humbled me massively but also affected me massively where like I couldn't leave my house I was like I said I've always been that guy who's I've got energy, I'm always... And I think this is the first time I ever understood what mental health was, what, like, anger really, really was, what revenge really felt like. All these different emotions where, like, I couldn't cope with what was going on in my head. And what precipitated the attack? It was random. Wow. So that's what I think, that's what... Why has it happened to me? Why... Why have they done this to me? That was, like I say, the first time where I was like, I can't, I don't know how to be me anymore. You've just completely changed me. And not only that, you changed my family's life too. So I think that also gave me the fire when I could navigate my my thoughts and, and what I wanted to do of like, I'm going to really become something bigger and better and being able to say like, Thank you very much, mate. You've just absolutely created something that you never thought you, you and you never see me because you don't know me, but you've just created something unbelievable. So thank you. So you flipped it again. Yeah. Look, I love that thought process of flipping, yeah. flipping a negative into a positive. Well, I think it's a valuable tip for anyone listening to this because what he describes, like the attack when he was a young lad, when he just got randomly set upon, um, it was a random attack and he describes how he tried to make sense of it. Why me? What happens? And this is an important principle of, it's an organising principle of how your brain works. It has to make sense from the chaos that our lives often would be like if we didn't have this overriding narrative. But our brains are also wired to be negative. So it goes to the worst possible solution why did it happen to me it's because you're an idiot is what your brain will instantly throw up so what he's describing there is a powerful technique of how do you just present your brain with an alternative perspective and the idea of just getting into the habit of flipping it and trying to see things from a completely different angle can often allow a chink of positivity to come into what can seem a dark situation and i think that's what he's done for his whole career of like what like why me why should i be a pop star well there's millions of people competing from that but then flipping it says but why not me why shouldn't it be me why don't i have something that's unique and is a talent we can all apply that to our lives whatever the situation we're facing 
And, you know, on the same theme of flipping, I actually really liked it when he talked about envy and he talked about the sort of inspiration that he gets from other people doing really well. We've heard this conversation quite a few times, actually, from various different people. Like, we're taught that envy is a bad thing. Envy is not. Envy is your focus. It's your North Star. It's it's something to aim towards. It's a, it's a direction to point yourself. And I just think that's a really valuable thing for people to just understand that reframing isn't just reframing how you live based on the things that happen to you it's reframing how your brain naturally reacts to stuff happening around you all the time yeah there's a brilliant sports psychologist called dr josephine perry that talks really well on this she talks about the power of emotional literacy so when we say i'm envious that's quite a lazy emotionally term to use and so you explore it and you go you know what i feel a little bit peaked that somebody's getting an opportunity that i'm not so describing, rather than just saying I'm envious or jealous, I'm piqued by it, it sort of just slightly offends me, then is a more literate term. So you can go and explore, well, what is it that you're offended by? And it's like, well, why haven't I got that chance? So then you can work backwards and say, so what do I need to do to put myself in the position of getting that chance? Then gives you a sense of power rather than just feeling crippled by some of these emotions. And what Tom described is just being very emotionally literate in the way that he describes his emotions and what they mean for him. Well, I hope that from listening to that podcast, you feel you know Tom Grennan, not better than before, but in a totally different way than before you heard that chat. Um, talking of the hidden struggle, the hidden fight, the hidden battle, Matt Willis is a man who hid his battle for a long time until he could hide it no longer, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And he came to us just days before there was quite a revealing documentary that he starred in about his addiction that was aired on the BBC and he was a little bit nervous, wasn't he, about the, how it was going to be received because the documentary and the interview that we did with him really sort of exposed a lot of vulnerabilities. This is a guy that has, you know, he's had number one best-selling albums and records, he's had sell-out tours and yet battling the demons of addiction, whether that's to drugs, whether that's to alcohol that he was facing sort of reveals something very human about him. Well, that was the the changing moment in my life, you know, because I, I can't really, like, like I said, I never meant to be in a band. I never meant to go to drama school and be an actor or anything, but I kind of, um, I always wanted to be a dad. You know, when I think back to everything in my life, the only thing I ever wanted to be was a father. I had the image of them in my head. I kind of could imagine myself being a dad. I knew what I wasn't going to do you know, a very strong opinion on what I wasn't going to do and what kind of father I was going to be. And I had my daughter and she was about eight months and I missed her crawling for the first time and my wife's birthday party because I was out getting fucked. And the next day I kind of, um, I woke up and Emma came in. She didn't shout at me. She didn't yell at me. She just told me what I'd missed and that she wasn't going to stand for it. And, and it, it hit me all of a sudden that I was going to be a terrible father. And it was the the one thing that I had always planned not to be the only thing I'd ever planned not to be. And I was going to do that. And I was going to do that to this little, little person who I loved more than I'd ever felt in my entire life. And I was going to repeat that cycle of shit. And it made me drop to my knees and, and ask for help. I think one of the things that stands out for me here um is a reminder of the power you find when all is lost 
And I think that for so long he struggled until the moment where it was so bad and it was so low and it was so hard that he decided that now I do something about this. And I think there's a strong message for people. If they're listening to this and they're struggling and they feel like the struggle is futile, there will be a moment. There will be a moment. And if you can grab hold of that moment, then that is the point at which you can turn your life around and you know nothing is lost until it's lost yeah and i know we're not addiction therapists or specialists on this topic but matt was really interesting where he said that a lot of the genesis for addiction therapy is that it's often said you have to hit rock bottom before you can make your way up and he challenged that and said you don't have to get to that dark place before you can start to turn your life around and i found that really interesting to explore it with him of because I feel we all have moments where life maybe feels a bit hard or a struggle, but just accepting that we can start the change at any time by almost being vulnerable, just allowing ourselves to be open to the fact that we are struggling and to be able to go and speak to somebody to get help, to go and seek support wherever it is. In, in his case, it was the power of the relationship he had with his wife, Emma. That There was that lovely bit that really resonated with me when he said that day when he was uh, staying over with his wife and he said what we're doing today and it was like we're just going to hang around and drink tea and just chat and it was also like well what do I need to do who do I need to be to impress these people and it was a sense of you don't have to be anybody other than yourself made him realize just where he was and the dark place he was in I think sometimes moments like that very human, mundane, everyday moments can actually remind us of being human and being human sometimes involves struggle. Very good. Thank you, mate. Thanks, mate. I, I love these. I love, you said it at the start that I'm delighted people enjoy listening to this because I enjoy doing it as well. This is the pause for us in between these conversations where we can reflect on our learnings and take them away and hopefully people if they want to go and explore it, can go into these episodes from the last month and listen to them in more detail. And just remember, you've got the best part of 200 episodes to go and review and to listen to again. And I, th I would encourage you, if you listened to one of the early conversations two or three years ago, go back and find it. Go back and see what those people say. But think about how differently you react to it based on the things you've learned from listening to High Performance over the past few years because being a lifelong learner is one of the best things you can be. And we all hope that these podcasts are helping you to be a learner on a weekly basis. Thank you so much for the continued support. Please do subscribe to this podcast. Subscribing to High Performance allows us to grow our channel. The bigger we can grow it, the greater the names we can attract and the more impact we can have for you. You can also watch them on YouTube as well as listen to them wherever you get your podcasts. But thanks for listening. Keep sharing what you're hearing and we'll speak soon. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.